0: Hey, everyone. So welcome to our podcast, Wildlife Journeys. We are your host, Emma and Dan. <laughs> this sounds like one of those things where um, you're, you have to say your name into like a, a phone recording. All right. So today, thank you everyone for joining today. So last week, we uh, Dan interviewed me, the other co-host. And so now I will be interviewing co-host Dan on his journey. I guess we should just start asking questions then, I guess. Dan is in beautiful Melvin, Australia. And it is 7.30 p.m. my time and 12.30 p.m. his time. So, big. oh, it's actually tomorrow your yeah,
1: time. I, mean, I live in the future.
0: Yeah, it's July 13th. That's so weird. Okay. All right. Okay, cool. How are you doing, Dan?
1: Good. Um, Like you said, I am Dan Ginto. So I did my undergrad. I started at Cleveland State. That's where we met and then transferred to North Carolina State. And I studied wildlife and uh, a minor in entomology. And then I went to Purdue to do a master's uh, in biology. And now I am in Melbourne working on my, my PhD. So that's my current like, title. I guess. PhD
0: was so exciting. Congratulations uh-huh. on your master's. That was oh, thank already you, thank you. over a year ago, but you did very well. It was very exciting um and as someone who knows very little about genetics well it's impressive regardless but as someone who knows very little about genetics it was very amazing so yeah you are from the cleveland area and you uh were you born in independence ohio
1: so i was born i don't know i was i was born in some other suburb in cleveland and then my parents uh lived in independence when i was born so that's where I've grown up my whole life. So yeah, 15 minutes south of downtown Cleveland.
0: Yeah, we'll talk about this more later, I'm sure. So I know about like your high school experience and land lab, but is that where you first kind of got interested in this field? Or was it before that? So
1: I think that's where I realized that it could be a career. But I think my interest starts when I was younger, I just I love to play with insects and yeah frogs and toads and fish and crayfish and I used to have one of those little insect circuses that yeah. I would just fill with slugs they wouldn't really do much because they're slugs but I don't know when I was a <laughs> child I was very invested in the idea of a, a slug circus so I think it was always kind of there but yeah
0: <laughs> that's awesome I didn't know that Good. Once you got to high school, do you want to talk a little bit about your experience there, uh, your biology teacher, and how that kind of like, yeah, when you realize that this is something that you can do?
1: Yeah, yeah. So like, before I realized that this could be a career, I think I I wanted to be a lawyer, because my uncle was a lawyer, and my aunt's a lawyer, and my siblings were lawyers. And I always enjoyed history class, and I was like, "Oh, maybe I could do that and I did a job shadow with my brother and realized that that is not at all what I want to do and I never wanted to wanted to sit in the law office again if I could avoid it oh and then God. I kind of wasn't really sure what I wanted to do and then I took uh biology in high school with Mr. Muratke, who's our high school biology teacher. And we have this awesome, as you said, they call it the land lab or the land laboratory, which is a 50 acre outdoor space for outdoor learning and hiking and outdoor education. But we would go there for our, our biology class and we would look at bugs in the pond and we would hike through and see different plants and just kind of learn about ecosystems through that. And I think that's where I first really started to enjoy, you know, this space and being outside and exploring. And then from there, I ended up joining our high school's biology club, the Independence Biology Society, and start going on trips that our biology teacher would lead to different natural areas or parks or metro parks or whatever it may be. And We would learn about the birds there and the different plants and herps, which I thought was really cool. So my biology teacher's brother-in-law was a herpetologist by hobby, and he would come on the trip sometimes and catch us snakes and teach us about them. And that's where I started to really get into wildlife in that sense. And then I had the opportunity to work at our land lab. So over the summer, the school would hire a couple people to help with upkeep and maintenance on the trails and everything but then also my biology teacher would run a snake study where we would put out cover boards and just kind of document what snakes were there and learn how to measure them and identify them and then later while I was working there we started a a similar project with turtles where we'd just throw out a turtle trap in these little ponds that we had and learn how to Identify the turtles and mark them and just get a sense of how they're, how they capture them and process and weigh turtles. So that was huge for me. It was really exciting. And I think that's when I started to get into the mind space of, I want to be a scientist.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, we'll get to this more later, but you, did your master's work on turtles. And when I first met you, again, you were wearing a turtle shirt and like a Mm. turtle necklace. So I knew you liked turtles. So was that like your first experience capturing, measuring turtles? Did you have a moment where you're like, okay, I definitely want to work turtles specifically, or was Mm. that kind of just like herps in general?
1: So I think it was herps in general when, so when I first started at Cleveland state, my dad was very insistent I'd be an engineer. So I was started in environmental engineering. So they didn't actually have a program there, but they had similar programs. And we kind of worked out a pathway with Dr. Wolin, who is our advisor, where I would be doing some engineering stuff and then some environmental science stuff to essentially do that degree. And my dad was kind of insistent that, you know, To have a viable career in this field, you need to have something to fall back on. And uh, for him, that answer was engineering. And I started there and I was taking classes. And the more biology classes I took, the more I realized that I don't care about engineering at all. And I just want to do biology. And I started to transition into just that. But what really got me onto Turtles was I did a study abroad after my freshman year in Costa Rica. So there's a program, I don't know if it's around anymore, International Student Volunteers. And it was like a third party, but they worked with the university. So you would get like a college credit for the experience and then you'd also get volunteer hours. So I went to Costa Rica to do sea turtle monitoring. Uh, And I think like a lot of people, just the idea of sea turtles was so amazing to me and these just these enormous ancient creatures that you know live so long and they travel vast distances but it was so cool and to go there and just experience that was incredible and that's what got me onto turtles but I guess I was always just interested in general and reptiles and the amphibians and insects. I always like the creepy crawly things that most other people don't like, but I think early on I was, I was very hung up on snakes more so. And then I kind of got really into salamanders before I ended up coming back to turtles.
0: It's all great. And yeah, yeah I relate to the creepy crawly thing. It's something about them makes it even more. I don't know for me. Like the fact that people uh, are afraid of them or don't like them makes me want to work with them even more. So mm. you need advocates, you know, speaking of salamanders, the first spotted salamander I ever saw was at the land lab. Thanks to you. So mm. what a really, God, I wish I had, I, again, I'm lucky to have parents that were into wildlife because my high school did not have a lab like that. So that is just such a cool experience. And I think Kids kids, and teenagers developing this familiarity with wildlife is so, so important. So that's really cool. And shout out to Mr. Maretka for doing that. It's amazing.
1: Yeah. the I, That experience, we are so fortunate and privileged to have those yeah. opportunities. And yeah, like you said... My, I think it was my senior year, we found out there was a breeding population of spotted salamanders at the land lab. So then we would come back every year to see them. And that was another, this like watershed moment in my life. Like, wow, these creatures are just so amazing. Like, they're so interesting.
0: Yeah, so fascinating. Next time I record, I'm going to do it in a closed room because my cat is trying to eat a box right now but yeah I did not know that you initially started going for engineering <laughs> I also think it's really funny that you thought you be a lawyer <laughs> I can't imagine that. <laughs> uh, but and so that's why you're at, I imagine that's kind of why you're at Cleveland State at first I mean they're kind of known for engineering and like medical stuff
1: yeah yeah my so my dad had me look at who, Gannon University and eerie PA first and I wasn't wasn't loving the area and then um I was you know transitioning out of high school and I was like I don't want to be that far away but like I don't want to be at home so yeah totally yeah Cleveland State seemed like a good option then to you know where I could do the engineering
0: yeah totally
1: not be too far from home
0: Yeah, totally. But yeah, again, like we talked about last week, that's where we met in our physical systems class. Mm. And then was it about halfway through? Was it after your sophomore year that you transferred to North Carolina State?
1: Yeah. Yeah. After my sophomore year. So 2016, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Really amazing school. What brought you to NC State? I guess that partially goes back to that.
1: Costa Rica trip is I realized like I want to do wildlife and at that point I started to realize that I could do wildlife and I met some friends on the trip that were from North Carolina and one was doing school in North Carolina and I went down to visit and do a visit to NC State's campus because I was just reading about the school and they have a long history and wildlife and a very prestigious, you know, wildlife and conservation program. And I just thought it was really interesting. I guess the other thing is they had an environmental tech and management program, which I was able to sell my dad on because it was similar enough to the engineering. So I couldn't, you know, really sell the transfer. And so I went down and visited and saw their, their programs, met with the environmental tech and management people. And then while I was there, there was a session on wildlife uh, from Dr. Laura Pacifica, and I was like, hmm, uh, I'll just go because it sounds interesting and it sounds cool. And I went and I absolutely fell in love with that program. So if I'm being honest, I applied to the environmental tech and management and told my dad I was going to do environmental tech and management and I just wanted to, you know, go down to North Carolina, and this seemed like a great opportunity, and I ended up getting accepted there to that program, and was able to get, you know, enough scholarship money to where the price really wasn't that different from, you know, going in-state at Cleveland State and going to North Carolina, Uh, and then the the first day I got there, I transferred into
0: wildlife. Um, That's so funny, it was the first day, but yeah, I mean, Oh, what a cool school and like I got I was I'm so lucky I think I visited you like maybe three times two or three times and yeah I love Raleigh I love the wild, wildlife that was where I saw my first copperhead, my first venomous snake ever actually and you had the best friends down there mm. so such a cool such a cool time but then yeah so after that kind of how long was it after that that you went to grad school and do you want to talk a little bit about Where you went and your experience there?
1: Yeah. So I guess, so I got to NC State in 2016, was taking classes. And at that point, I was, you know, you hear all this, you need experience, you need experience, you need experience. And I didn't have a ton of wildlife experience, obviously, because I was in this kind of engineering, environmental science side of things. The only experience I really had was that study abroad. And then, you know, from high school, after the study abroad, I started volunteering with the the Cleveland Metro Parks, which is where I met Owen, Owen Lockhart, that you also worked with. And I, I would volunteer to track turtles for him. Actually, I should I should go back even further. So how I met Owen was for high school, I did my senior project at the Cleveland Metro Parks. So my biology teacher set up a deal with them to where I can go and shadow them and most of the time I was just like cleaning tanks and stuff in the nature center. But I think it was one of my last days. They're like, Oh, you really like, you know, herps and stuff. You should meet this guy, uh, the turtle guy, Owen. And Owen came in and I got to talk with him and Kim for a while. And then Kim was going out to check traps the next day. And she was like, Oh, you want to come out and we can check turtle traps and you can bring your biology teacher So we did, we ended up going out and that's actually where I saw my first Blanding's turtle. And then later ended up tracking those Blanding's turtles for uh, Owen and Kim doing radio telemetry. So that was kind of my, my major first experience there with actual research. And then when I was in North Carolina, there was a opportunity to uh intern at the Wildlife Resource Commission tracking box turtles and you know having that experience from Owen was was huge to get to do that so then yeah I got to North Carolina and I just started applying and volunteering for everything I could do luckily I was I was fortunate enough to have some scholarship money and to have some money saved up from working at the land lab and then To have very generous parents that were willing to help me out a lot. So I I had the privilege of not necessarily having to have a job uh, to support myself while I was in school but instead I was just volunteering doing everything I could. So I was volunteering at the museum once a week and I was doing a, a unpaid internship for the Wildlife Resource Commission doing box turtle stuff and um I was volunteering doing mist netting for the state parks and just every opportunity I could I just was like I want to get as much experience as I can will I have this opportunity and I have this time to not you know have to worry about my my living situation as much so I just did as much as I could and then we had our our wildlife field classes that was another great opportunity to learn a lot of different field techniques and skills and as i was finishing up at nc state i think it was my senior year the last semester of my senior year they had a new grad student starting who was going to be researching new river water dogs which are a large fully aquatic salamander that's endemic to the new Centaur river system and a species that was, was thought to be vulnerable and declining, but they weren't really sure. So they're hiring a grad student to look into their distribution and population size and stuff. And because I had a lot of interest in herpetology and my professors knew that one of them recommended me to this grad student as his technician. So I went and met with, um, Eric Tightsworth, and we talked for a little bit and we interviewed and he ended up offering me my, my first, I guess, real technician job. So it was my last semester, I was doing like part-time while I was finishing up school. And then right when I graduated, I started as a full-time technician and we were just going all over the state of North Carolina and trapping salamanders, which was absolutely amazing. Just an incredible incredible experience with these really, really cool animals. And Eric was a fantastic mentor and fantastic person to work with in this first kind of official research technician role that I had in a lot of ways. He was like a big brother, I guess, in research, you know, teaching me about research methods and and keeping them, you know, statistically significant. and the importance of rigorous designs and stuff Well, also just, just having a good time and just talking about the wildlife and stuff that we're interested in. And you would teach me about birds and quiz me about trees and stuff while we were out in the field. So just a lot of fun and a really great first experience. But then as I was finishing up that, I went to... The Wildlife Society Conference, they actually held it in Cleveland in 2018. Myself and my friend Edward, that you also know, Ed Bird, for those that know him, uh, we drove up to Ohio and we stayed with my parents and went to the Wildlife Society Conference. And while we were there, they had a special session on reptiles and amphibians that was put on by... Ohio partners in amphibian and reptile conservation. And I spent as much time in those sessions as I possibly could. Absolutely incredible. Got to just see some amazing researchers that I really looked up to and were absolute legends. Justin Cogden and and Whit Gibbons were two of the big ones there. I remember seeing Whit Gibbons talk and like realizing, like, this is the guy that wrote my field guides. Like, I have field guys written by him and then talking to him after and he was just so nice and so outgoing. But it was at that conference that I met my who would become my my master's advisor.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Meeting people like that is like meeting a celebrity. And it's funny because I was recently telling one of my friends about it who she's in a similar field, but not herpetology. And I'm like, Oh, my God, like, I met this. It's like, I've I've been reading his papers like I went to a conference on the west coast recently and uh listened to a talk by someone who yeah again like wrote like a third of the papers <laughs> I feel like not quite a third but a lot of the papers I referenced for my master's project it's like I don't know these legends they're so inspirational so cool yeah I can't believe I forgot to ask about the news river water dogs I'm so excited that uh yeah when I was done on under- line and showed me them we caught some and they're just the coolest creatures yeah and then we we also tried to look for uh tiger salamanders and then it just mm. happened to be like record cold winter so we didn't we didn't see many but yeah. but yeah just to speak on like volunteering a little bit I think again for if anyone's listening to this and wanting experience I mean even just volunteering like a day here and there literally any experience you can get like volunteer experience is legitimate and something you can put on your resume and that's how you make connections and people like meet people and get experience and like get a feel for what you might want to do so i'm glad you mentioned that because yeah and my first introduction to blinding turtles was also with owen and hmm. greatest telemetry so we got to get owen on the show who is so cool my first he was my first introduction to turtle trapping as well shout out to the Cleveland Metro Parks and Owen. And then, so with Blandings, I mean, so you met your advisor at that conference and then you, before, before you started working with him was when you did field tech stuff with Blandings Turtles in Ohio, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that's, I guess it all kind of comes together. It's, I think it's a really funny story. And it was, it was, so it was at that conference. I got to talking to Greg Lips, who I think you had introduced me to at a Ohio Reptile and Amphibian conference meeting that you met through Kristen. So I, you know, just kind of briefly met and introduced myself, but I mean, everybody, if you're in Ohio and you do anything with reptiles and amphibians, you know who Greg is. Yeah. And the her world is small. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And he knows Everyone and everyone knows Greg. So that was another awesome opportunity when I first met him. Cause I remember going to conferences in Ohio when I was in high school, my biology teacher would take us and every, it was like, it was. It seemed like every project Greg was involved with or had something to do with and then to get to like meet him. And also he was just, he's just, he's so outgoing. He's so nice. He's so easy to work with. He's so welcoming, but yeah, I just, Got to talking to Greg and then was telling him kind of what I was up to and stuff. And he mentioned, you know, oh, I'm I'm gonna need technicians in a little bit, so you know, send me an email, like if you're available, it'd be great to to hire you on. And I was like, Oh, that'd be that'd be awesome. And then there was a mixer event at a brewery in Cleveland. It was I think it's Collision Bend brewery in the flats that they were having for all the herpetologists. And so it was after the conference one night and I remember me and my friend were like, Oh, we're college students. We don't have a whole lot of money. So we're like, we'll go eat at my parents' house, take advantage of the free meal and then we'll go down and just meet people. So we ate and we ended up going a little late. And when we got there, everybody was, was just getting their food and there wasn't any more room at the table. So we're like, Oh, so, right we'll just sit at the bar you know and talk till they finish up and then we can go talk to people and right after we sat down another guy came in and he was just kind of standing around we are like oh he's probably in the same boat so we we're like hey like are you here for the conference and stuff and he's like oh yeah i'm just here to talk to some people and we're like yeah you can come have a drink with us if you want while they're finishing up their food like and we just got to talking with this guy about different research and stuff that he was doing and kind of what we were interested in and what we wanted to do. And then, um, they finished up their meal and it turned out that that was the first ever technician that Greg had hired. So Greg came over to talk to him and he was talking to him for a while and he's like, ah, who are like, who are these guys you're with? Like, they, uh, they seem like cool guys. So then we started talking to Greg more at this, at this bar. And we were just like, you know, shooting the breeze and talking about herps and stuff and then all of a sudden out of nowhere Whit Gibbons and Justin Cogden walk up to talk to Greg and then we got to talk with them for a while longer and then they walk off and then uh, Priya who you also know came over and I guess she used to work with Greg years ago in a lab and uh, Andrew Hoffman came over and they were, like we got to see it. Greg and Priya have this like I say an argument but it was more of like a jest about salamanders and it was one of the one of the coolest experiences as a young researcher to see these two awesome researchers that have known each other for so long just kind of like joking around and talking about salamanders and research but it was also just a really cool experience where I got to meet a bunch of really cool researchers and then everybody kind of went their own way and and greg was standing there with us and he's like so uh you want to go to grad school and i was like well yeah i think eventually like you know i'm just finishing up undergrad but yeah i'd love to go to grad school and he's like all right let's go meet advisors and i just remember he walked me and my friend around the bar that night and introduced us to different professors doing research with herps. And he introduced me to Mark Jordan that night who ended up becoming my, my master's advisor. And then I, so I went back to North Carolina to finish up working with the new server Water Dogs. And one day I just got an email from Dr. Jordan and was like, hey, Greg said you'd be good for this position and stuff. And like, we'd met at the conference and he's like, um, would you want to apply? And I was like, oh, yeah, absolutely. So it was doing conservation genetics with landings turtles. And then I emailed Greg. And then Greg's like, yeah, come work as the technician. So then I ended up working for Ohio State that summer as a research technician on what would become my master's work. So it was like a really cool kind of coincidence where I got to be hired on at multiple stages of the project and kind of see the whole thing through.
0: Yeah, and a- again to like speak to like how small the herp world can be. I forgot that you uh met Priya there as well. Mm-hmm. And like you said, she was also in the same lab as the PhD student Andrew Hoffman I worked under. And then also in the same lab as Laura Guderion, who Priya suggested I reach out to when I moved to Oregon. Laura lives out here and I did and a year later, turns out we were ended up in the same lab without realizing so really weird connections here but yeah yeah i'm going to uh herpetology conferences and getting to hang out with professionals after especially like at a brewery or something is so much fun and also a good networking experience but yeah that is so cool and then you did i mean yeah like you said you started doing this tech work on Blanding's turtles, um, just like tracking them, capturing them. Or were you just, you were just trapping them at the time, yeah. right? Yeah, so
1: yeah. so we were doing mark recapture and taking blood samples.
0: Right, right. Yeah, and then that's uh, when you transition into your role as a grad student at Purdue mm-hmm. and started doing genetics work on that, which was amazing. Do you want to talk about your master's project and what you did with yeah. that research?
1: My part of the project was looking at the population structure in Blanding's Turtles. So this was part of a competitive multi-state grant that we did with Ohio, Indiana, and Michigan to look at Blanding's Turtles in the Great Lakes region and get an idea across all three states of essentially where the populations are, how they're doing, and then take genetic samples to kind of determine where there is structure genetically between those different localities. And so my field work was all in the, the Lake Erie marshes, the east side of Lake Erie. So let's say this project was a big partnership between Ohio State University, the Toledo Zoo, uh, Michigan Natural Features Inventory, oh, and then Purdue University, Fort Wayne. How could I forget that? That's where I was at. Um, so we had multiple grad students working on different aspects of the project, but my part was the genetic side of it. So they had multiple field teams. Which I have to shout out because without them, none of this would have been possible. So multiple field teams over multiple years across multiple states. And we were just trapping like crazy, trying to catch as many trolls as we could, at many different locations as we could and get as many genetic samples. And then I would take those samples back to Purdue. So we were at the, the satellite campus in Fort Wayne and I was with uh, Dr. Mark Jordan. And then we were also working with Dr. Bruce Kingsbury, who's also at Purdue Fort Wayne to, you know, awesome herpetology labs there with a bunch of herpetology students, which was really cool. Cause then one of the student master's students that was working on kind of the demographics and detection stuff. Uh, Dan Earl was in, in Dr. Kingsbury's lab and we worked together a lot both in the field and then in data analysis and just kind of bouncing ideas off each other. So it was really cool to see both sides of the project but then I would take the samples to the lab and I would extract the DNA and then do PCR and we'd send them off for analysis and then I would basically score the genotypes for the different frogs or frogs. I'm working with frogs now for the different turtles, individual turtles to get a kind of profile. And then we would run some different analyses to determine essentially how related each locality is to each other and delineate where there may be populations and where there might be a divide representing like kind of a historical shift in the populations.
0: Yeah. And Well, I already know the answer to this, but what is so special about Blanding's turtles?
1: Blanding's turtles are special for a number of reasons. For one, they are just a really, really cool, unique turtle. So they're a rather large pond turtle that has a half hinge. So similar to a box turtle where they can close up their shell a little bit, but they're mainly aquatic. They have a really cool life history where... You know, they can live upwards of 80 some years and they move really, really far for turtles. So they have these really large home ranges and they can move very extensively on land, but also in the water. And they're just really charismatic. They have these bright yellow chins and a dark black carapace that kind of looks like an army helmet, but has these like cool yellow specklings and dots on it. It's almost kind of is like looking at space at night, I think, sometimes and seeing the stars and the cloud, but on the turtle shell. They also represent an important function for the ecosystem. So turtles in general play a really large role in energy transfers and containing lower levels of energy flows. So they feed on the insects and the fish and the vegetation And when they feed on the smaller insects and tadpoles that would eat that vegetation, they're helping with carbon sequestration. So they're preventing those organisms from breaking down the vegetation and releasing carbon into the atmosphere. Uh, They also have really, really high population densities. So turtles make up a very large proportion of ecosystem energy flows. And yeah, I don't know, it's, it's hard to argue the importance of turtles because people just love turtles, and you could see their their cultural significance all around, from you know indigenous art and indigenous stories to you know modern pop culture with things like the Ninja Turtles and stuff like that. They're great. They're great outreach animals. They're great for getting people involved. Greg Greg would say that turtles are like the gateway drug of herpetology, especially a large charismatic turtle like a Blanding's turtle. They're just so easy to handle and so
0: charismatic. Yeah, absolutely. They're such a charismatic species. And easier to advocate for for than, than snakes in my experience uh, when it comes to the public. But yeah, such a cool project. I was there at your master's defense. Very impressive. And yeah, and then you graduated. And do you want to talk about, you know, what you did post-graduation and how that led to where you are currently, both in your career and geographically. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I I I defended
1: in fall of 2021, which seems so long ago now. And while I was finishing up, I was kind of trying to figure out, you know, what's next? Where am I going to go next? What am I going to do next? Having a lot of, you know, anxiety about what now? Like, (laughs) just finished this big part of my, my education journey. And now it's like, okay, now what are you gonna do with that? So I was just applying to jobs all over the place. I was applying to tech jobs. I was cold emailing professors, um, trying to get into a bunch of different labs, trying to figure out, you know, what exactly I wanna do, where I wanna go. I, I knew I didn't wanna necessarily stay in the Midwest, so I was in Indiana at the time, and I grew up in Ohio, so I'd spent a lot of time in the Midwest, and then I did undergrad in the Southeast, and I didn't necessarily not want to go back to the Southeast, but at the same time, I just wanted to see something new, so I was really looking on like the West Coast and just trying to find different experiences, and I was just emailing constantly, and I got lots of uh, rejections, lots of, we're not taking on students now, or, you know, our lab's full, or, you know, I don't think your interests necessarily match. Um, and then I finally started to get some some interviews. And one of the interviews I got was with uh, the One Health Research Group from the University of Melbourne. So they were looking for a student to work on population genetics and targeted genetic intervention with endangered frogs and chytrid fungus and well I haven't worked on frogs before I you know have been working on genetics for a while and just have a broad interest in herps and had done some stuff with salamanders and I just thought oh it sounds like a really really cool position like might as well apply like I, was like, I had no expectation that I was going to get the job or get offered anything or even a, a reply, but I ended up just applying and they offered me a interview. So I was really excited. I got to send in my references and everything and all that stuff. So I was all ready for this interview. And then uh, the first person that joined the interview was Tiffany Kosh, uh, who'd be the lead advisor. So She's kind of leading my project, and she gets in the interview, and she's like, "Oh, hi, like, nice to meet you. Like, I see, Greg Lips is one of your references," and I was like, "Oh yeah, like, you know, I've worked for Greg for you know a couple of years now. He was on my committee and worked as his field tech," and she's like, "Oh, that's that's awesome. Like, um, I volunteered for Greg twenty some years ago at the Toledo Zoo," and I was like, "What? Like?" Uh, my mind was blown. I was like, "Oh, what a small world!" So yeah, the the interview went went really good. The other two people interviewing me were were Lee Garrett and Lee Berger, who are huge names in in herpetology and you know wildlife health and conservation. Lee Berger, as as some might know, discovered chytrid fungus during her Ph.D. back in in the '90s. So it was just amazing just to even get to talk to them on Zoom. And I, I would have been satisfied if that were the end of the interaction, but um they ended up reaching out and offering me a PhD position here and I was absolutely thrilled. <laughs> and then we had uh the the COVID times, so uh I guess all of that was was post a lot of the lockdowns, but Uh, Melbourne had very, very strict lockdowns into 2022 and it was really difficult to travel to Australia and the university had shut down their admissions. So while I got offered the position from the advisors in the lab, the university is basically just like, oh, we can't actually admit you. So there is a good almost two years where i was basically just in limbo kind of where it was like i had the offer but i couldn't go there and start yet so in that time i i went back to work for greg so he was starting a new project on spotted turtles in northeast ohio and i was like this is fantastic i can Uh, live at home and I don't have to worry about paying rent because my parents didn't charge me because I was very lucky (laughs) so I was like I could live at home I could save up money I could work on spotted turtles which are you know another really really cool charismatic turtle species so I did that for a couple months and then um, had a little downtime where I was just kind of like when am I gonna move trying to figure stuff out but like Having a lot of uncertainty because the university would be like, hey, we haven't opened admissions back up yet, but we will in a couple months. And then I would email them in a couple months. They're like, hey, we still haven't opened admissions yet, but we'll let you know in a couple months. So I was kind of just like, uh, just kind of bumming around. And then I saw someone post a position on Instagram for a nonprofit up in uh, Northern Ontario doing Blanding They're looking for a Blandings turtle researcher. And I was like, oh, I'm a Blandings turtle researcher and I love turtles and I'd like to go to Canada. So again, just kind of applied on a whim and I got an interview. And fortunately enough, I was able to go up to uh, Northern Ontario for a couple months. And while I was waiting to go to Melbourne, I got to extend my time as a, a turtle researcher for a little while
0: longer yeah that was so cool it's it's amazing again those connections from place to place um and and yeah and so but you made it uh they finally let you into the country <laughs> and just like god all of your pictures are so amazing Melbourne just looks like an incredible place to live as well as research Yeah. So what has your experience been like? I mean, you're in the last episode, you were talking to me about how scary it is to move across the country, but you moved across the world. (laughs) Yeah. And so what was it like to live internationally and start a whole PhD in an opposite side of the world? And what has your PhD journey been like so far? Yeah. So if you know
1: me, you know that I'm maybe not always the most prepared for things. So I was uh, moving over to Melbourne and I hadn't yet found a place to live, which I think back now it is, is very stressful, but I think I was kind of just suppressing it so I didn't freak out um, and just acting like it wasn't a big deal. And it wasn't till I was, you know, almost without a home that I started to actually get stressed about it, but... Uh, <laughs> So I came over and then I was like, oh, I'll find a place when I get here. And then it turns out it's a lot more difficult to find an apartment in Melbourne than I was expecting it to be. Uh, but luckily, I found a place very close to uh, our campus around the satellite campus in Werribee, which is a western suburb of Melbourne. And it's, it's been a very harrowing journey so far because... Like I said, I've been doing a lot of work with turtles and I've done some salamander stuff, but I hadn't really done much frog stuff. Like I have a, a research background and a genetics background, but not necessarily specific to frogs. And in this position here, I'm doing a lot more lab work and we're doing a lot more captive animal work than I was doing prior. So before all my stuff was in the field... But now I'm working with the southern corroboree frog, which is this adorable little derpy Australian frog that can't really jump. They more kind of walk. And they're not the the most coordinated and not the fastest or the strongest, but they're very cute and they have really nice coloration. But unfortunately, their population has really just been ravaged by the amphibian chytrid fungus, and they're functionally extinct in the wild. So I think the last time they tried to do a wild census, there was maybe six individuals in the wild, but uh, Zoos Victoria ended up taking in animals and starting a captive breeding program. So at the Melbourne Zoo and the Taronga Zoo here, they've been doing this captive breeding and they were have been extremely successful and able to breed just thousands of frogs. The only issue is then how do we get them back into the wild? Because we can breed them and we can keep them alive, but the chytrid stays in the environment, so it can it can live in the soil or in the water, and especially when there's other species around. So there's this common froglet, Eastern common froglet here, that is can be infected with chytrid, but isn't really impacted by it. So they're able to survive and kind of act as a reservoir to maintain it in the environment. So we can't really release the frogs right back into the wild because they'll just start dying again. So we have to find other solutions and that's kind of where where I come in. So when I got here, we already there was another PhD student who's been working and she's actually starting, she's finishing up her last trial currently, which is very exciting. Uh, looking at genome-wide expression in the corroboree frogs in response to chytrid fungus, Mickey Davidson, and she has been incredibly helpful to me and um, just kind of showing me around and showing me the ropes in the lab, as well as teaching me about these frogs that beforehand, like, I didn't know a whole lot about. I, I had an understanding of, you know, why they're important and what they need to get back into the wild. But other than that, I didn't know much about their husbandry or, you know, how to manage them in the lab. So she's been absolutely incredible in showing me all that stuff. And then my project is looking at the transcriptomics of the gene expression in response to the fungal infection. But yeah, it was a, it was a very Big transition working in moving into a whole new system whole new continent different completely different species different species profile uh one of the strange things here for me is i think there's maybe a single ranid frog on the entire continent of australia and just about every other frog species is descended from tree frogs here which is just wild to me so Completely different from what I'm used to. I'm not working in the field anymore. I'm working with pathogens that I haven't worked with prior. But the other the other PhD students have been amazing in transitioning. And Dr. Kosh, Tiffany, been a fantastic advisor.s Very supportive, very understanding, very laid back, very easy to talk to. And the way I came in typically for, for a PhD here, you would come in and, you know, the first couple of weeks is designing your project and getting your permits and your ethics and all your applications worked out. But because I was kind of in limbo for two years, all that stuff was already figured out. So I got here and it was maybe a month or two and they're like, all right, let's get you in the lab and start these first trials going. So um, it was kind of trial by fire. And you know, the first phase went a little rocky, and uh, I was pretty pretty anxious about it. And there was a few times where I was like, "I think maybe I should have stayed with the turtles." But we've gotten past that, and you know, I do think it's getting easier. I'm learning more, picking up more, getting better with working with the frogs and the fungus. But yeah, it's it's been very different, but it's been a really good experience. Kind of get out of my comfort zone, step out of my my circle of where you know you feel like you're starting to become an expert after three, four, five, six years of working on you know one thing, and then you're all of a sudden you're back at the start again. So it's yeah, it's a weird transition, but also like it's been nice and kind of Relearning and almost restarting as a researcher and
0: yeah 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 that's huge, <laughs> but you've made it this far, and how much more do you have of your PhD? Few more so, years. So
1: I started in November, and so I'm almost halfway, th- or I'm almost through my first year. And the typical PhD here is three to three and a half years. So that's so short. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That's so nice. Two, at least two, maybe two and a half more years to go. Um, Yeah. Yeah, we're we're closing in on the end of my first experiment here. So getting excited and getting ready to start, you know, getting some data back.
0: That's so exciting. And where do you see, you know, again, you still have a lot of time and a lot of things to experience, but where do you kind of see yourself post-PhD?
1: Yeah, I guess, so I've said this for a long time, probably since we were at Cleveland State, that I think I want to be a professor. And I used to just want to do teaching because I think you can have a lot of impact on helping people get experience and helping them get excited about science and getting excited about conservation. Uh, But as I've done more research, I think I, I want to do both teaching and research. Ultimately, yeah, I'd want to be a a professor. What I'm working with, I don't, I'm not sure yet. Like I've, I really miss working with turtles, but I'm also really enjoying working with frogs. And I guess the uh, intersection there of my work has been genetics. So probably stay with genetics and genetic response to disease. But also maybe kind of work back into the the turtle world and kind of more broaden out to just herpetology in general is where I ideally I'd like to go I think.
0: Yeah totally. And was there a moment I mean you said and was there a moment that came to you where you're like, yeah, I want to instruct or I want to teach.
1: So honestly it was probably in Dr. Walton's population genetics class or population biology. And he he was also a, a salamander researcher that I think we both looked up to a lot when we were at Cleveland State. And I just yeah. remember loving his lectures like I just thought they were so informative, but he was also like a very entertaining lecturer and he had this yeah. kind of odd like dry sense of humor that he would just kind of sneak in occasionally. And that's when I I first started to get like really excited about going to lectures. And it was like, almost like, it was like watching a TV show. You're like, you don't want to miss a second of it. Cause like one, we were talking about really cool stuff with evolution and genetics, which I had an interest in already. But then like, yeah, Dr. Walton did a really good job of bringing his own research into his teaching. So like learning about stuff he'd done with snakes or frogs or Hearing the stories about sampling salamanders, I always thought was really cool.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, that's so exciting. Um, And that you'll continue to, you know, pass this knowledge on to other students someday. I could totally see you running your own lab and get to continue this research and get other people involved in this research. My next question would be what your, I mean, you might have already kind of mentioned this, but what your gotcha moment was or what really clicked for you to start you on this huge journey that you've been on
1: probably probably spotted salamanders just seeing them migrate for the first time was just so incredible they're like i growing up we'd find them in our yard occasionally and i just thought they were really cool these big they're like black sometimes almost purple Salamanders with these bright yellow spots, and they're just so cute. They look like muppets. Then to go out and see them crawling through the woods and swimming around in the water and doing their little dance in the water was just such an incredible moment. In one, just seeing like there's so much out there that if you're not paying attention, you miss. And two, like there's so much out there that we need to to work to better understand and conserve and make sure that other generations have the same opportunities to get inspired and to see these amazing things
0: yeah absolutely well thank you dan for sharing this you've done so much from literally high school till now and i'm so i'm so excited to hear about what else you do in Australia I just still think it's the coolest thing that you're actually there and all the pictures you post and all the wildlife you see and just like the fact that you're working with people that are like literally legends it's it's just the coolest thing and it's so amazing to see you get here from the Cleveland State days till to, to here super impressive and and I'm going to visit you in Australia before you graduate so yes, I can't please, wait to there yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, thank you so much for uh interviewing me and I can't wait to see where this show goes and um I'm excited to co-host with you. And yes, should we announce our our guest for our third episode?
0: Next we week? should announce our guest.
1: All right. So, for next week our first actual guest beyond the coast is Dan Earl. So he is a biologist for Michigan Natural Features Inventory currently who works with everything from turtles to bees and moths. Really excited to get him on the show and hear about his journey. He is also a podcaster, I'll mention. Uh, his his podcast is called uh, Delve Into the Decks. It's kind of a pop culture comedy podcast about Uh, explaining Pokemon to someone who has no idea what Pokemon is, and Dan Earl is one of the smartest, but also one of the funniest and most entertaining people I think I've ever met, so (laughs) very excited to have him on, and if you haven't heard his show, you should go listen to it.
0: Sweet. Okay, I will go listen to that, and I didn't, yeah, I met him at Purdue very briefly, but I didn't realize that that was his position now, so I'm really excited to hear about that. Awesome.
1: Well, till next time. Thank you everyone for listening and uh, go, go find us on Instagram.
0: Yeah. And go flip some logs and look for critters. (laughs)